0: Um, I, I don't know if it's the role for Congress or even the president to really invoke themselves in this debate, given that it really it's fundamentally a, a, a disagreement among employees and employers about how money should be distributed.
1: This is Lawyer to Lawyer. The award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys. Bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Craig Williams from Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. And we'd like to thank our sponsors, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at SunTrust.com law, and Clio, web-based practice management software program for, at GoClio.com, and Firm Manager from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions at MyFirmManager.com slash LTN. Well, the big question we're facing today is whether there will or won't be a 2011 NFL season. There are millions of football fans asking that question across the country. We're going to see what we can do to answer some of it today. The National Football League has ordered a lockout on March 12th after negotiations between the league and the players' union collapsed. And The big issue is here. You guessed it, money. For the first time, the work stoppage We've seen in 25 years in the NFL, players are fighting to end the lockout while the owners fight for a bigger piece of the $9 billion revenue pie. The official start of the season is still months away, but if lawsuits keep being filed, it's highly possible the season will be delayed or even canceled. We have two guests with us today to explain the legal issues and what's going on with one of America's most popular sports, First up, attorney, blogger, author, and sports fanatic, Clay Travis. Clay blogs about sports on his website, claynation.net. He's also the author of a column on AOL's FanHouse, as well as the co-host of a sports radio talk show, Three Hour Lunch on Nashville's 104.5, The Zone. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Clay.
3: Appreciate you all having me.
2: And also joining us is nationally recognized expert in the field of sports law, Professor Michael McCann. He teaches at the Vermont Law School. He's also a legal analyst for Sports Illustrated and author of the column Sports and the Law on SI.com. He's also the co founder of the Project on Law and Mind Sciences at Harvard Law School. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Mike. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Well, Clay, let's um, kind of get a little bit of background and start us out about the circumstances that led up to the, to the lockout. Maybe you can describe for us what the owners want, what the players want.
3: Yeah, I think the simplest way to say it is um, there's $9 billion in revenue uh, that the two sides are fighting over, and effectively the owners have been taking $1 billion off the table immediately before they redistribute the revenue to the players, and I think the players are getting somewhere around 60% of the overall revenue of that remaining uh, amount of money and now what they're trying to do is take off 2 billion before they redistribute the money and uh for the players i mean it hasn't been talked about that much but effectively that is going to be a a decrease in their overall compensation um and uh and th- and that's the big dispute whether or not uh, that 2 billion can come off the table and then obviously the, the sort of ancillary spiraling out of that has been the players arguing that the owners need to open up their books so that the owners can show them uh that they do in fact need to take off this extra billion to make sure that uh, their business models remain sound and the owners saying that they have no obligation to do that. And uh, we've continued to basically be arguing over those simple, uh, relatively straightforward issues. I mean, I don't think this is incredibly complicated, uh, but both sides have been uh, continuing to fight for for months now. And the owners basically signaled up to uh, a year ago, I guess, that they were going to opt out of the current bargaining agreement. Um, And uh, so they're trying to get a better deal than they negotiated
2: beforehand. Michael, how uh, how do the owners justify the additional revenue that they're seeking, and how can we uh – how can we look at how do we
0: look at that? So I think from the owner's perspective, and Clay's comments got at this, that they believe that in order to sustain the league going forward, that there that economic concessions will have to be made by the players, including in regards to things like salary, access to free agency, and, and I think most particularly wages for rookie players, that the owners really want to see dramatic changes. That although owners have not, at least to the players' satisfaction, shown that any team is losing money. The owners believe that the league, nonetheless, uh, could enter into financial difficulty if concessions aren't made by the players. And, and some of the owners also are having some issues in terms of paying back debt financing on stadiums that they, they've they uh, created in the last 10 years. So the owners want to see some financial concessions, and the players, of course, don't want to give them up. And at some point, and, and like Clay mentioned, they'll have to reach a deal that uh, that fundamentally
2: comes down to distribution of money. Well, and Clay, the, the players, are, from what we understand, are seeking an injunction to end the lockout. How is that proceeding?
3: Well, they just had the hearing, I believe, on April 6th uh, before the judge in Minnesota. Um, and I think she said she's going to rule in about two weeks about whether or not she believes that injunction uh, re- request has merit. Um, and then there'll be a decision about whether or not to appeal. I believe it will go to the Seventh Circuit next um and uh and, and we'll see where they're moving there. It's it's interesting. I, I co-host a show here in Nashville with a former NFL player who was a four time pro bowler, Blaine Bishop, um, for the Tennessee Titans. And uh I think, you know, his perspective is kind of interesting on this as a retired player, um in that uh and we can maybe talk about this, but the degree to which this situation is becoming more complicated for the average fan. We take a lot of calls, we interact with fans on a regular basis, they have no clue what's going on. And and I think that's one of the fascinating things about this is once they went into the court system, your average fan really doesn't have any idea what's going on because both sides are working so hard to spin things in their direction and try to gain that perceived uh, political advantage in terms of how the media is going to cover this and how the fans are going to respond to that coverage. Um, and and really, I, I think your average fan is, is is clueless if you ask them to really break down exactly what's going on. There's just it, it's moving into a degree of complexity if you don't really pay aggressive attention to it, you're being spun in so many directions, so many different areas, that you don't really have a concrete opinion of what's really going on.
2: Is health insurance an issue here?
3: Yeah, health insurance
0: is an issue because once the lockout occurred, the access to doctors was foreclosed. So as a result, uh, players have to use COBRA, the federal program that provides a continuance of one's health care, but as a cost to the person. And the players are getting about $60,000 in a fund a lockout fund that will be provided to each player but uh, as the players association asserts a lot of that money is going to be going to pay for healthcare that even though the players will get you know, and of course think that in mind think about that $60,000 is a lot less than what the average NFL player gets which is 1.9 million but even then a lot of it's going to go to pay for health care particularly if they have families so yeah healthcare matters in terms of the the, the immediate issues but in terms of uh, Craig, if your question is getting at sort of also concussions and those types of issues, it's interesting that that has not come up, whereas money has been the, the key issue. Now, it's possible that the leagues and players have sort of reached an agreement as to how to best approach the concussion issue and better helmets, better technology and the like. But although that issue has certainly attracted Congress and many commentators in the last few years, it has not been a key issue in this debate. Are we
2: seeing any problems with health insurance being available to some of the retired players? Did the lockout end that as well?
3: I can speak for for what I've – we've had several retired players on to talk about this. Um, It's a major issue. Uh, I think that the public is just becoming aware of what football players truly put their bodies through. I mean, now the average football career only lasts about three and a half seasons so uh, these guys are are coming off of uh, their football careers at 26, 27 years old. But the longer you stay in the game, the more severe the injuries are, um, and the more difficult it is to get regular medical coverage. I mean, just because you uh, have basically put yourself through the equivalent of, of 30 or 40 car accidents. And these guys, I think, what we're going to see, and this is going to be a continuing story that I think is going to continue to grow, is that. I think football is, is poised in some sense in the next two generations, next 40 years, to become a lot like boxing has become in the last 40 years. That is a sport that people who have money and and, and ha- are educated don't necessarily push their kids into. Uh, boxing is almost entirely a province of the underclass now. And, and I think in, in some sense there's going to be real issues for football in terms of getting – uh, you know, parents to put their kids out on the field because I think you're going to see a lot. You're already seeing it, but the debilitating effects of this game as the players have gotten bigger, stronger, and faster is only going to really sort of manifest itself in the next generation. And uh, I think that football has a serious issue that they're not addressing in that respect. And healthcare is a major part of that because the retired players do have oftentimes very difficult situations when it comes to trying to find coverage.
2: When there are very few ways to get that big to play football.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's fundamental. I, I think that, you know, we sort of look at these guys as, as superheroes, and it, nobody really wants to think about what goes into what they have to do to be on the field any time other than the, you know, the 60 minutes that those games are going on. We don't want to think about what they feel like on Monday or Tuesday. We don't want to think about what they feel like in 10 years after their career is over. We care about the here and now, and uh, in, in some sense, I think that's going to be a, a football fans are going to have to sit back and reexamine this because. On some level, we're all complicit, and the leagues are because they sell the heavy hits, they sell the the knockout blows. Um, You started to see them responding aggressively this season, but uh, but yeah, that's it's a broad area. And I mean, even you know, speaking of legal issues, I mean, I I know that that Blaine Bishop has been approached by uh, plaintiffs' lawyers who want to file class action lawsuits on behalf of retired NFL players. Uh, based on concussions, saying that the NFL was aware of the danger that those guys were putting themselves through and chose not to make the players aware of uh, of the dangers that they were undertaking.
2: Well, what about retirement benefits? I mean, these guys as part of their union get some kind of retirement benefits, but if their season, if their entire career on average lasts three and a half seasons, uh, how in God's name are they going to have enough money to retire? Well, it's interesting that they actually, the
0: retired players and prospective players have brought an analogous class action against the NFL over the lockout. And the retired players have argued that some of the funding for their own programs as retired players will be jeopardized by the lockout because the funding comes from fines issued to players who break rules. And none of those fines will occur if there's a lockout. So the retired players have also filed a claim, and and in some ways it could be stronger than than the claim brought by Tom Brady and other plaintiffs. But in terms of retired players saving money. You know, this is a recurring issue, not only in the NFL, but in other sports where we've seen many athletes after several years of retirement be broke and that they didn't save their money. And it's a hard situation for the Players Association because the question is, do you want to take money away from players that they've earned and put it into an escrow account or, and really take that choice away for them or let them have the option of saving money leagues and players associations have generally sided on the on the lines of let players fundamentally have that choice but as a matter of public policy you could argue that you know maybe they maybe they shouldn't maybe 10 20% of player salaries should be set aside and they can't touch it till they're 35 or 40 you know i don't think players are going to go for that but but it's a hard issue where where you know you get to the NFL, you don't think your career is going to last two, three years. You think it's going to last five or six, or maybe even longer. And there's a certain level of optimism bias that that players have, like we all have, that you know we think that the odds of something bad happening to us on are, are less than what they would be on average, even though we may be the average person.
3: It's a good point, Mike Grace Is I mean, I talked to a prominent NFL agent recently, just kind of get a feel for how his clients were coping with the um, the lockout, and he told me a stat that I found absolutely shocking. And I think uh, you guys will as well. Eighty-five percent of his clients, he said, live paycheck to paycheck.
2: That's amazing. I mean, he, yeah.
3: I was floored. I mean, and so you're talking about how money. this this, this uh, lockout is going to move forward, and the fact that the NFL players have already tapped the sixty thousand dollars payment that, uh, that that Mike referenced already. I, I mean, that's extraordinary, isn't it? Eighty-five percent of his clients; these are NFL players living paycheck to paycheck.
0: Yeah, and Clay. You know that gets at when is this situation going to settle? As you know, players most players are not paid until the, the actual regular season, that they get a little bit of money for the preseason, they get a little bit of money for the postseason. Some of them have bonuses that appear outside uh, of the regular season, but the vast majority of income received by players is during the regular season, week-to-week, game-check-to-game-check. Game if no games are being played in the fall, this is when the players will really get their financial hit, because right now they're not necessarily losing money because they wouldn't be paid anyway. I mean, they're losing health care, so there's still some loss, but they're really going to feel it in the fall. And and I think you're right, Clay, if 85% or whatever percent of players are living week to week, paycheck to paycheck, it's certainly going to be a high percent. I don't know how they're going to not capitulate to the
2: owner's demands. And I would suspect that the majority of these guys don't have a college education going to play this game. And so when they're in the off season or after they're done, they have really nothing to trade on other than, you know, maybe a name.
3: Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, a lot of them are trying to get, you know, different, uh, I mean, autograph gigs set up, trying to do it, uh, a lot of different things to uh, to sock away the money. But, you know, they've been, been told for two years by the Players Association, you need to be saving. And I think the vast majority didn't ever listen and heed those warnings. So. Uh you've seen a union like baseball say that is very strong and able to stand up to the might of the owners. Uh, I, I don't think that football, in fact, we've seen football crumble before. Um, I don't think the football union is going to be strong enough to really, when the rubber meets the road, be willing to, to withstand the, 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 the power and might of the owners who you know have been socking away money for a long time and, in fact, are going to have access to some of those television revenue dollars even without games going on.
0: Yeah, and Clay, I mean, a lot of Americans live week to week. Right. I mean, yeah. that, that's that's sort of what the players are doing with their money is probably similar to what typical people do in terms, you know, it's it's most people spend their paychecks. And they're you know, as a culture, we're not very good at saving money. And I think that just is really amplified in the context of, of players when their careers are going to be over so soon, whereas most of us will work 40, 50 years. You know, these guys, their careers are going to end in three years and then not saving money really hurts them maybe more than than it hurts other people.
2: It's easy to be somewhat sympathetic with the players to some degree, but, you know, I mean, they make a lot more money than than we do, but typically the owners make way more money. Is there anything sympathetic for the owners? I mean, there's been some claims of antitrust and and, uh, attempts to decertify the players' union. What what do the owners have to be sympathetic about?
3: I I don't have any sympathy for the owners. Um, It's interesting. I think the players get and I've written about this, get the blame because it's easier for most people in America to put themselves in the mind of labor, i.e. I would play football for $2 million a year. I would be happy to go tackle somebody for $400,000 a year. I'm making $40,000 a year doing X than it is for somebody to put their mind in in the idea of the owners. And what's kind of interesting to me is the, the average fan, I think, doesn't think about the fact that if somebody doesn't get the money, in other words, if a player doesn't make the salary that he thinks he deserves, then the owner gets to pocket the, that amount, right? I mean, that's the owner's benefit. But fans, I don't think co- contemplate. They think of the money going to the player, but then they don't think about that if the player doesn't get the money, that it goes into the owner's pocket. I think that's kind of, there's kind of a disconnect there. And, and, and I think you're right. I mean, I, I, the owners are the one who opted out of this deal. They should be to blame in some sense because it's a lockout and not a strike. Again, what's the distinction between a lockout and a strike? Is it lost on your average fan? I think it probably is, and, and that's why I think. Uh, public perception, honestly, ends up blaming the players because they're more connected and easier to see and understand what
2: they do, I think, than uh, than the owners are. It almost sounds like we need to get some congressmen involved with this and maybe some legislation rather than the court system. Uh, what are you guys feeling about that, Mike?
0: Well, you know, I think for this narrow issue of whether or not there's going to be a season, I don't know if government can play a major role other than the National Labor Relations Board deciding on whether the Players Association wrongly or rightly decertified Um, I I don't know if it's the role for Congress or even the president to really invoke themselves in this debate, given that really it's fundamentally a a, a disagreement among employees and employers about how money should be distributed. And I would be surprised if Congress took any any decisive action other than maybe some grumbling about a prolonged lockout – Um, We did see, though, President Clinton back in the baseball strike in the the mid-1990s play a role in trying to shepherd a deal, and there was some success there. Um, But I, I think it's a risky maneuver for any politician because the natural reaction will be, why are they spending their time on this? Obviously, football fans are upset that there's no football, but in the grand scheme of things, is this really all that important.
3: The one the one angle I, I would think would be interesting to explore that hasn't been talked about very much is these cities that have built these stadiums and have loan obligations due that are predicated in some sense on events taking place in them that aren't going to be taking place. So I don't know necessarily that's a congressional thing, but I'm a little bit surprised that there haven't, that hasn't been a union of mayors or somebody like that talking about the, the impact on the cities for these taxpayer-funded stadiums. Uh, because the, the the people in the city do have, as taxpayers – a little bit of an interest in whether or not those games are going on, in the sense that they're still paying off the stadiums that they built with the taxpayer money, and and, and the fact that nobody's really talked about that, I think, is, is kind of
2: interesting. We can talk about that in just a moment, but for now, we're going to take a quick break. We'll have lots more on the NFL owners versus players when Lawyer to Lawyer returns right here on the Legal Talk Network.
1: Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and wading through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC.
4: Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to introduce us to the world of cloud computing and how it can be beneficial to lawyers and law firms. Jack, we're hearing great things about cloud computing and its utility for law firms. Can you tell me why so many lawyers are excited about cloud computing?
0: I think the most important thing about cloud computing from a lawyer's perspective is that it gives them the power and breadth of features that traditional desktop and server-based software uh, gives them without all of the IT overhead and inconvenience. So there's uh, all the benefits and none of the downsides of traditional desktop-based software, and they're able to focus on practicing law with a really solid cloud computing platform behind them. I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the the excitement is—they're now able to realize the the potential of IT without all of the headaches.
4: We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Cleo. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you.
0: And if you'd like to get more information on Cleo, feel free to visit www.goCleo.com. That's g-o-c-l-i-o.com.
1: Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. The solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS70 type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis firm manager at no charge or to learn more, visit slash ltn It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not?
4: I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center.
1: Oh yeah. I need to do that too. Where do I find them?
4: It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE.
1: That's perfect. The office can wait.
2: Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams, and my co-host Bob Ambrosio is off today. We're talking about the NFL lockout with our guest, Professor Michael McCann of the Vermont School of Law and blogger and radio host, Clay Travis. Clay, you had a thought right before the break.
3: I'm interested what the, what the professor thinks about that. I mean, again, I mean... I haven't heard a lot of, uh, we get a lot of calls, and the reason I've kind of thought about it from the perspective of kind of the local cities themselves as opposed to the larger national area is we get a lot of calls from people who, who make uh, some part of their income, let's say, as sports fans walking up and down the aisles selling beer, as people who sell parking. Um, you know, I think that they did a study here in Nashville where they said there's a $20 million economic impact in the bars and the local community around the stadium. Four games themselves, but also we have a publicly funded stadium that the city of Nashville built for the Tennessee Titans to play uh, football in. And uh, one thing that, that I've always thought uh, would emerge and has not yet emerged as a storyline is these public entities that have tax payments uh, to make, you know, bond payments or whatnot to make on these facilities that are predicated in some sense on events taking place that they get a share of uh, the concessions or whatnot as, as part of those payments they do have a, a vested financial interest in whether or not these games take place. And it's not on a congressional level, but it is on a local mayoral level and city level and maybe state level. And I'm surprised there hasn't been any kind of uprising in that respect to say, look, we need to have these games for that reason.
0: Yeah, I think that raises a really good point that it would seem that they would have standing that these entities are, who funded the stadiums should have a say as to whether or not the games are played. The only you know, one possibility is that maybe the, that the that the agreements that they have with the teams – provide that in the event of a labor dispute that no claims right. can be brought. I mean, that, that's the only,
2: maybe there's a contractual barrier to that. Yeah, and there may be a contractual barrier or requirement that the owners continue to pay uh, for the lease of the of the uh, facility during the time that there's a lockout. Right. Well, our, Michael, what do you think? Are we going to be seeing some scabs this fall? Or are we going to see some, um, you know, farm team players coming up and, and uh, playing football for us?
0: Yeah, I don't think so. I think that if the owners went the route of repa- replacement players, they would subject themselves to more litigation because whatever rules they set up for these replacement players would be subject to antitrust law because they wouldn't be collectively bargained. And then beyond that, the existing players, the players who have been locked out – could file a grievance with the National Labor Relations Board that the league is trying to avoid bargaining with them by using replacement players. So I would be very surprised. And, of course, then there's just the practical issue of where are you going to find 1,600 people who are really good at football and who are going to attract the interest of fans to watch and for television networks to broadcast. I think the quality of play would be would be demonstrably worse than what we see in the NFL and probably than what we see in college football. So I don't see replacement players being a really a viable
2: option. Clay, how are the fans turning on this one? I mean, you've got the pulse there. You're on the radio. What do you, what kind of reaction are you getting? Are people upset at this? Are they going to just give up and stop watching football? Is football going to lose fans, or is this something we're just going to kind of roll with like we have with baseball and hockey?
3: I think the complexity of the strike has gotten a lot of people to pull back and not pay attention. Um, and I think the fact that the draft is still going on, at least for NFL fan perspective, it, this is typically draft season, right? I mean, I, I would, I've argued before, and I think it's true, that the draft has almost become the fifth major sport in America, at least when you consider pro sports. The amount of attention given to it, the amount of excitement that it generates among NFL fans. So the fact that the draft is still going on is, is going to, I, I think, subside a little bit of the angst about what's going on between the owners and the players. But as soon as that draft happens and we finish the month of April, and we finish the month of May, and June comes along, and people start thinking about those training camps opening, uh, and there's still no movement. As we move into the summer, I think that's when fans are really going to ratchet up the level of discord, dist- distaste, and, and 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 angst, and and I think that's probably going to continue to grow. Right now, I think we're kind of in a holding pattern. People know that going to court has kind of forestalled the uh, the inevitable for right now, and I think fans are just hopeful that something's going to change before it really impacts their uh, their sporting lives.
2: I mean, Mike, can we realistically expect something out of the courts by the fall season to get some direction on whether the season's going to go forward or not?
0: Yeah, I, I think this will be resolved before the season. To be honest, I if I had to predict, I think that at the end of the day, the players will agree to certain concessions, primarily in the context of prospective players and players who are drafted. Where those who are not yet at the bargaining tables, their interests are nonetheless represented by the current players. It wouldn't surprise me to see a very different pay scale for rookie players that would appease NFL owners in a way that that might help get a deal done. So I I I, I think we'll we'll see a resolution to this. I would be surprised if there's no season. Um, you never know. But I think once the players aren't getting paid, then we're really gonna we're really gonna see how committed they are to the lockout, to to uh, not agreeing to the owners' demands
2: it just seems like if there's 1600 players that uh you know we're talking numbers in the billions there ought to be enough to be able to divide up among everybody and keep everybody happy clay what's going on with that <laughs> it's,
3: it's it's you know it's, it always reminds me of whenever somebody says it's not about the money it's always about the money right it's not about right. where how much money there is it's about who gets the most of it and uh You know, that happens. I I don't know how many lawyers out there listening think about their partner meetings. Um, I I have never been a partner at a law firm, but I've sat in on one of those meetings before. And uh, people who are otherwise pretty reasonable people, when the money actually needs to get divvied out at the end of the year and everybody's uh, ratio is going to get distributed, the managing partner's got a pretty tough job. And uh, I I think that, uh, you know, that little partner meeting is a microcosm of what goes on in the NFL. Just because there's a lot of money to distribute doesn't mean that everybody's very happy about how that money's going to get distributed.
2: I would imagine not. Well, gentlemen, it's just about time for us to wrap up and get your final thoughts along with your contact information so our listeners can reach out to you. So, Mike, let's start with you. I guess my final thought is
0: that it's certainly unfortunate that the lockout is happening and that fans are having to watch a league that they like so much be stuck in courts and in proceedings and in acrimonious testimony. But I think at the end of the day, we'll see a deal done. Um, in terms of reaching out to me, I'd be happy to... to uh, To communicate with anyone you can you can find me at vermont law school you can find me on si.com and i have a twitter account uh, mccann sports law so that that's the best way to reach out to me great
2: thanks very much thanks thanks for having me on
3: yeah i appreciate being on and uh, i uh, also think that this will eventually get resolved um i'd say people out there in law school and everything else the world of sports and law it seems like continue to converge because business is just getting bigger and uh and bigger and and i mean i should say sports business and uh the issues at stake become larger and larger so um i think this will eventually get resolved but it's uh you know pay attention in class and there's lots of ways to uh, to make a living talking about sports and writing about sports um for lawyers out there uh people can follow me i'm clay travis bgid on twitter uh if you just google clay travis it'll pop up ClayTravis.net and then uh Travis at gmail.com is the preferred uh, email address for me.
2: Great. Well, thank you, gentlemen, very much. We appreciate you being on today and talking and enlightening us about the uh, NFL lockout situation. For our listeners, remember now you can get CLE credit through West Legal Ed Center for listening to Select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center. You can find all of our shows on the iTunes as well, all Legal Talk Network shows. And we'll be back again next week to discuss another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to
1: lawyer. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.